Okay, guys, um, so we're in this series called Spiritual Disciplines, right? <clears throat> for the sake of this series, we're going to say that spiritual disciplines just means making space for God. Um, and tonight, let's see, last week we talked about prayer, right? Bradley spoke to us about prayer, um, and he described prayer as not like a ritual, but as a relationship with God. And so tonight we're going to talk about a couple of other ways to make space for God. And so tonight's going to look a little different. First, I'm going to teach, talk a little bit about Sabbath, and then Christina's going to come up and teach a little bit about reading um, God's Word, and then we're just going to give you guys some space to um, have some time to do one of those two things or whatever you feel like you should do, okay? So that's what tonight looks like. So Sabbath, big, huge, weird-sounding word that's actually an amazing thing. Um, so we're not going to get freaked out by the word. Instead, we're just going to simply define it as like stopping or ceasing is what Sabbath is going to mean. So the word Sabbath came from um, Genesis. It came from when God created the world. He created for um, six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested, and that was called Sabbath. And we have a Bible verse up here from Genesis chapter 2, and it says, So the heavens and the earth were completed, and all that was in them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. And God honored the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work that he had done. So what do you think? That God needed a break? I mean, probably not. He's God. But it was super intentional. You can see by how many times he repeated it in that verse that he thought it was important to separate being productive and resting. And he modeled that. And he was really intentional about taking a day to honor that. And so as we talk about Sabbath, I'm just going to list a, different, a few different reasons that I think that we should maybe try to keep a Sabbath ourselves. So the first one is um, the whole reason for this series is that we need to create a space for God, okay? So that's the first one. And the second reason is because we need a balance. We need a balance between being productive and creating or working and ceasing. And we need this balance because God saw it as important, so my question is, do we have this balance? Do you guys have a balance? Do you take time out, do you carve time out of your week where you're really intentional about not doing anything? No computer, no Netflix, no phone. And if you're anything like me, that's kind of a hard question to answer because the answer is probably no. But I think this is important because we desire it. And you know how I know we desire it? Because this winter, I found myself just like, can we just have one big snowstorm that like knocks out three days of school? Because, I mean, you're with me, right? When we hear that there's snow coming, everyone's like, well, snow day. And one of you guys showed me that calculator thing that actually predicts if you have school or not, which totally doesn't work, by the way, right? Okay, so I know that we desire, and that's the next reason why we should have a Sabbath, because we want space where there's no expectations, where I can do whatever I want, where I can be stuck at home. No one thinks that I should be here or doing that. So we desire this. We need breaks. And I'm not talking about the breaks that we take to avoid the things we have to do, like when you're supposed to be writing a paper and you're watching a movie or on Instagram, but actual intentional breaks for just being still. You know, we've talked a lot lately about lies. And I think a very subtle and dangerous lie of the time that we're currently in is that we need to be entertained or interacting with somebody constantly. <clears throat> Does anyone know what I mean here? I'll give you an example. 
If I am not actually doing something, I get on my phone. Does anyone else do that? I get in my car and I think, okay, who do I have to call or what do I need to check? Not that I do any of that while I'm driving, but I do. Um, because you can't just drive. That would totally be a waste of time, right? I'm saying this sarcastically because none of you are supposed to be doing anything on your phone when you're driving. But we all buy into this lie that you can't just be still, that we have to be doing and connecting. C.S. Lewis is like my favorite author, and he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's about, um, it's two demons talking about how to go after humans, how to um, go after Christians. And one of the things that they say um, is that like one of Satan's most effective tools is to trick people into being super busy because then we get really distracted. We convince ourselves that we're too busy doing things, even really good things, and we're too busy to make space for God and that we don't really need that. He wants us to think that creating space for stillness for a Sabbath is a silly thing, a thing that we don't really need. But God says something different. He says, be still. So there's, uh, someone introduced me to this idea when I was in high school of a breath prayer, like a verse or a prayer that you just pray as often as you breathe. So I have issues with being still. And um, the verse that I picked for this was, be still and know that I am God. That's an actual verse in the Bible. So God tells us something different. He says, be still. Jesus took Sabbath often. We see this over and over again in scripture. It says Jesus went away to pray. He created a space and time to connect with his father. To get away from the demands of others, and he was Jesus, so there's quite a few. To hear his father's voice. Over and over it says that he withdrew from the crowds and went to pray. If God and Jesus were still, do we think we should be? You see, the truth is, God doesn't have to compete, and I don't even think he will compete with our busyness. I want to say that again to make sure you hear. God doesn't have to, nor will he compete with our busyness. He waits, being fully able to restore us and wanting to restore us and wanting to fill us up, but he waits for us to come to him. He doesn't push himself. He waits for us to choose it. Last week, Bradley talked to us about knowing God's voice. He talked about how we're the sheep and he's the shepherd, and the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. But how can we follow it if we haven't even made time to hear it? Because I think what we do is things get bad or hard and we call on God. But like Brad said, there's all these voices. And if we haven't spent time getting to know God's voice, how can we hear it? How can we listen for it? So that's the next reason that we take Sabbath, is to know our Father's voice. The last reason is to restore our souls. And you guys, this idea doesn't necessarily have to be just doing nothing. Think about what restores you, where you meet God. It might be um, in music, it might be working out, it might be in nature. So I want you to shut your eyes for a second and think of an entire free day that you get. It can be a snow day or maybe it's not. Maybe it's the middle of summer and you get to do whatever you want. You get a whole day just to recharge. Think about what you do. And in this day, I'm going to challenge you, no technology, because technology kind of goes against the whole being still thing, right? So we're going to put that away. We're going to create space. What would you do? Because a Sabbath would be being still for God and then doing things that restore your soul. And you can open your eyes. That might be what your Sabbath would look like. 
So I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I was in a Bible study a couple years ago, and um, they were teaching on Sabbath, and they challenged us, challenged me to do what I'm going to challenge you to do, which is pick a time in your week where you're regularly going to carve out a Sabbath, time for God, time for stillness. And I was doing exactly what I know you're doing right now, where you say, but you don't even know how busy I am. I don't even have time to do the things I have to do, let alone carve out a day or even two hours. At least that's what I was thinking. So I intentionally set aside a couple hours on Saturday morning for nothing hard, just for stillness. I said we could eat breakfast as a family, we could go to farmer's market, go outside, like anything that was relaxing and not stressful. And so then something crazy happened. These couple hours, not only did they not take away from the day, but all of a sudden the rest of that day felt like there was more space in it. And all of a sudden, like in that two hours that caused me so much anxiety to not do anything, all of a sudden I wanted more of it. And so now in our house, we carve out Saturdays like to not do anything. And the crazy part is it's not like I've lost a day. It's like we've gained tons more time in the week. So much to the point that I try now to get up early. And if I can get up early and spend just a teeny tiny bit of time with God, all of a sudden the days, it feels like there's more time to be productive in them. And I'm nicer. Not that I'm ever not nice. I can get really grumpy at home. Um, but all of a sudden, there's more space in my relationships. There's more space in my mind, in my day. Because I actually think when we carve out time for God, somehow God creates more time and more desire for him. And you probably think I'm crazy when I'm saying that. I don't know if there is more time or if it just feels like it, but I do know in Joshua chapter 10, when the Israelites were fighting the Amorites, it actually says that God stopped the moon and stopped the sun and time stood still. So I know he's capable of that. I want to read you something from King David. Do you remember Brad referring to King David a lot last week, saying if you want an example of this, go read the Psalms. So King David, um, great guy. Um, he was called a man after God's own heart. He had some issues, murdered people, that kind of stuff. But um, he was a good guy, and he carved out time for God all the time. So I'm going to read to you what he wrote about his time with God. But before I do that, I want to set this up. So this is like an incredibly wealthy man who had so much of everything, so much land, so much power, so much money, um, so many servants. His family was huge. He had everything. He would have known what it was like to be taken care of. He would have known what it was like to have luxury, to be entertained. He had it all. <clears throat> His life was not lacking in any way. And this is what he said about his time with God. This is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I will have everything I need. He lets me rest in fields of green grass. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me strong again. He leads me in the way of living right with himself, which brings honor to his name. Yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid of anything because you are with me. You have a walking stick with which to guide me and one with which to help. These comfort me. You are making a table of food ready for me in front of those who hate me. You have poured oil on my head. I have everything I need. For sure, you will give me goodness and loving kindness all the days of my life, and I will live with you in your house forever. I don't know about you guys, but I want that. I want 
to feel like that about my time with God. I don't want it to feel like a burden or something that I have to do, but I want it to feel like that. And I think the first step in that is creating space for stillness and for restoration, for Sabbath. So here's my challenge to you. What can that look like for you? I want you to think about that tonight. Talk about that in your small groups. Be honest. Like, honestly, I can give 10 minutes. And if that's it, do it. Every week, do that. Set that aside. And if you don't say it's on the same day every week, you're not going to do it. So really try it and see what happens. Um, I'm going to close this part of our night in prayer. So will you bow your heads with me? Dear God, um, I just thank you that you're so patient with us, that you modeled for us how you want us to do this, that you gave us tons of examples. And God, I thank you that you wait. You wait for us to come to you. So God, just help us be brave enough to create time for you. God, help us to remember how very important that is. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I really liked what Nikki said about God not competing with the busyness of our lives. Um, That's something I really connected with. And how she said he patiently waits um, for us to choose him. And if we could just do that, he would restore us. We would see that time with God is really good. So tonight I want to talk a little bit more about reading the Bible. Um, Reading the Bible is incredibly important. And it's part of these spiritual disciplines we've been talking about. It's part of um, these ways of making space for God. And I think our first response to being told we should read the Bible is usually one of intimidation because the Bible is kind of a big thing and it's long and it can be hard to understand. So I have a couple quick things I want to talk about when it comes to reading the Bible. The first is that we all know we can do a better job of this and do a better better job of um, taking time to actually read the Bible. Sometimes I regularly take time to do this, and sometimes I don't. Um, I need to be reminded again and again to make time, to make space for God. Um, This is something I'm going to always probably struggle with and need to do better at, and I know I'm not the only one. Uh, Second here, I know that a lot of the Bible seems really unclear and that there's scripture that's really hard to understand. I just think that can't stop us from ever opening up our Bibles. To help me out when I'm not understanding scripture, I listen to different pastors and speakers that are much smarter than me that give insight into scripture. And there are other resources out there to help us understand our Bibles. And I think one of the best things we can use is a study Bible. Some of you might already have those. Um, Study Bibles are put together by people much, much smarter than me that really studied scripture. And they've put all their learnings and insights together into a study Bible. Um, I have one, I got one in college. I use it, Um, it helps me better understand scripture. Um, I also ask others for their insight, for their learnings. Um, when it comes to reading and understanding the Bible. This is not something I can do all all on my own. Um, I need a lot of different resources to help me understand the Bible. Third thing here is that I believe that the Bible was written for us, but not directly to us. And I take the Bible really seriously. And I'm saying this because I really believe reading the Bible has to be a part of our faith. 
I think when we don't read the Bible, we have a really small picture of God. And when we do experience God through scripture, my personal experience is that God becomes really big and he becomes really powerful. Um, and I think when we see God as being big and powerful, then we can trust him. And so there's also a lot of really cool things that happen when you're reading your Bible and you're starting to read God's story. And one of these cool, th cool things is that God gives different pictures of himself through scripture depending on what season of life you're in. So you can read a section of scripture and then later in life read it again and again and again. And each time you can gain new meaning, new understanding that you didn't have before, that you didn't have the first time or the first however many times that you read that passage. And that is God revealing new things to you depending on the season of, your, of the life you're in. And I actually had this happen to me recently. I was at a conference in November and I heard a speaker teach on a section of scripture that I have heard many, many, many times growing up. But for some reason, because of where I was in life, God revealed new things to me. And I want to share that with you guys tonight. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Uh, Mark is in the New Testament, kind of that second half of your Bible. Um, the New Testament starts with Matthew, then Mark. So Mark, chapter 9, verse 2. We're also going to have it up on the screen here. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Has anybody heard this before? Is this a familiar passage to anybody, a couple people? So there's a couple things that stand out to me. Um, it says they were on top of a mountain. This actually was not the first time Jesus spoke to his disciples on top of the mountain. That would have been a familiar thing for them to do. It says Jesus was transfigured, which is kind of a different word, not one we normally use. But if you see, verse 3 actually explains what it means to be transfigured. Um, it says, uh, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach him. So he was transfigured, his appearance was changed. It says, Elijah and Moses appeared, and that was pretty strange because they were not alive anymore. And Peter kind of makes a fool of himself, and he says, let's put up tents and hide in them, basically. Because uh, verse, verse 6 says they were terrified. Now, we could stop there, and we read something really cool and big that God did, but I want us to keep going and learn a little bit more about this story because I think God will become um, even bigger and more powerful with the more we learn with this. So to take it a little bit further, I want to ask the question, why do you think were Peter and James and John terrified? And I might need a little audience participation. Just shout some, something out. Why do you think they were terrified during this? They'd never seen it before. That's part of it. They heard, they heard God speak. That would be a new experience for them. There's something else that went on that caused them to be afraid. And this is a thing that I had never thought of before. This was kind of my big, like, aha moment with this teaching. Um, and that was the cloud. The presence of the cloud caused them to be terrified. You might not even notice it. Verse 7 says, and the cloud overshadowed them. 
And that is something I never paid any attention to before. We're actually going to learn more about this by turning to Exodus chapter 19, which is in the Old Testament, um, because this is actually not the first time something like this happened. And so um, Exodus is the beginning of your Bible. Old Testament means it's a time before Jesus. And this was a time period um, when Moses was leading the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. This is something we talked about before Christmas. So we're going to start in verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. To death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trump trumpet sounds a, loud, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so, so that all the people in the camp were so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. So here we have the cloud again. And the cloud was actually the physical manifestation of God, and it was terrifying. The presence of the cloud was God descending his glory, and it was too much for our human senses. I know I read a lot, but it talks about don't touch the mountain. Basically, like, you can't handle this right now. And it would be terrifying. It says there was thunder, there was lightning. Like if you ever stood outside in a storm, like imagine that is happening right around you. And you know that it is God, his presence. And Peter, James, and John were good Jewish boys and they knew this story. They knew this story really well. They'd heard it growing up and they knew to tremble at the cloud. They knew to be terrified. Um, again, verse 12 says, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. So Peter, James, and John, they know what this cloud means. They know to be afraid. They know that getting too close means death. So what do you think they're thinking when they are up on top of this mountain with Jesus? Jesus' appearance has changed. He's transfigured. Moses and Elijah appear. They know who these guys are. They know they're not alive. And this cloud surrounds them. Like, what do you think they're thinking? I think they probably thought they were going to die, to be honest. Um, but what happens? In Mark chapter 9, verses 7, 8, it says, A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So how cool is that, that Peter, James, and John, they didn't have to stand at the base of the mountain and fear God like the Israelites did. Um, they got to experience God at the top of the mountain. And don't forget about Moses. This is also something I'd never even thought about when it comes to this passage, because Moses is a part of this too. And if you know a little bit about Moses, when he was alive, um, he didn't get to see God face to face. He spoke with God, and he wanted to see God, but God wouldn't let him see him face to face. So Moses would have been at the base of the mountain with the Israelites. Um, and there's another passage in Exodus, Exodus 33, where it says God passed behind Moses. 
um, he wouldn't let Moses see him. And after Moses had spent 40 plus years leading these people, leading the Israelites, he didn't even get to kind of reach his goal, so to speak, um, because he didn't get to enter this promised land that God had said could be the Israelites' new home because Moses made some dumb mistakes in his life. And I always thought that kind of sucked, like to spend all these years doing all this work, and then he doesn't even get to enter this like amazing new home God promised him. But Romans 8, 28 is a familiar verse to some of you. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. So what do you think Moses would have preferred? To enter the promised land um, as an old man, maybe not a lot of life left to live. Or, as we read in Mark, to enter the promised land with Jesus on top of this mountain. And he actually got to see God reflected through Jesus. Um, that's what it was when Jesus was transfigured. They got to see like a reflection of God's glory on Jesus. So those, like what would he have preferred? I think the second. I think he would have wanted to be in the promised land with Jesus, experience God in a way he never would have experienced before. Because we are limited. We only see within our space and time. We only think God works for good in our own space and time. But God goes beyond space, beyond time. Uh, we get to communicate with him, to commune with him through prayer, through creating space, taking a Sabbath like Nikki talked about, and reading his scripture. Uh, my cool learning um, from these passages is that God no longer asks his people to stay at the base of the mountain. Um, we're invited to the top. We get to have mountaintop experiences and we get to feel really close to God. And those of you that have been on caravan or are going on caravan might have heard people talk about something called the caravan high. And they kind of talk about like a negative thing because it doesn't last for very long. Um, I don't actually view that as a negative thing. I view that as a mountaintop experience, as a gift from God. Peter, James, and John had this incredible mountaintop experience, but they didn't stay there. It didn't last forever but it was very real. It was a very real mountaintop experience. And because of that, we no longer have to be at the base of the mountain. That was my aha moment with this. And that's why we took time at Big House to talk about prayer and Sabbath and scripture because God is accessible and he wants us to know that he's accessible. And he wants to bless us. Like Nikki said, he wants to restore us. He wants to talk to us. And when we make space for God, we feel close to him. We learn more about him. And when we do these spiritual disciplines, um, we're strengthened, and our faith and our trust are strengthened. And I want to tell you a little bit about what happens when we are restored and strengthened by God. Um, when you are strengthened in God, you can resist temptation, and you can love your family, and you can have compassion for friends and people that have hurt you. Um, you are able to do a lot when you are strengthened in God. You can have mountaintop experiences um, that help you get through the day-to-day -day frustrations and struggles. And I really do believe God desperately wants all of this for us. But like Nikki said, I don't think he competes for it. I think he patiently waits for it. Um, and he's so accessible, and we just have to reach out to him. So that's actually what we're going to do right now. Um, we're making some space tonight for us all to have the opportunity to do this. Um, I hope you guys will take the rest of the night to be really intentional to connect with God. Um, you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can take time to pray. If you brought a journal, you can take time to journal. You can just be still and be quiet and listen. Um, or you can read some scripture to get to know and experience God through that. 
Um, in the back, we, out, we have some different pieces of paper set around um, that have some of the scripture used tonight and a couple other pieces of scripture. And I would encourage you to take that and to read it for yourself. It's good to hear other people talk about scripture. I do that all the time. But then it's good um, for us to open our Bible and to read it for ourselves. So we have plenty of space tonight for you guys to just do what you need to do to connect with God. Um, feel free to spread around the room. Um, and like I said, uh, just do what you need to do. Um, God is here. God is with us. Um, God wants us to feel close to him. And if there's something you've never done tonight, if you've never taken time to be still and quiet, I encourage you to do that. If it's been a long time since you opened up a Bible, I encourage you to do that. Uh, but this time is just here to be intentional. Um, I'm going to say a prayer. And then, like I said, there is just space um, to move around to do what you need to do. God, I thank you for your presence during this time. I thank you that you are totally accessible to us. Um, you love us. You just want a relationship with us. Um, you don't compete for that, God. You patiently wait. And um, I know you've given some of us mountaintop experiences where we have known you to be real and felt you really close. Um, and we wish that that could be all day, all the time. Um, but I think you give us those experiences, God, to prove that you're real um, and to help fuel us to get through the day. So I pray for these students and leaders um, that this would be a time where they can hear your voice, where they can connect with you through prayer, through scripture, um, that they can learn to be still. I ask that we all just would have the courage to really do the things we've learned about in the last two weeks, to really schedule and be intentional and take time to connect with you, God, because I believe 100% you want to restore us, um, you want to quiet our souls, um, you want to bless us. So help us take that step tonight, God, and help us take that step tomorrow and the day after and the day after, God, to really connect with you. Um, we just ask for your continued presence during this time. Amen.